Well, good morning. How are y'all doing? Cool. I like it. Some are awake. Some are kind of getting there. Uh, my name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much for, for hanging out with us this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it or load your Bible. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Uh, man, I've had this debate going on in my head all, all, all week. Is it two verses or is it three verses? I guess if you count ten, it's three. I think it's two. But that's just what I was, that's what was my whole week, actually. Um, so we're going to find ourselves in First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. While you go there, set your notes up and all that, I'm going to ramble just a little bit. Uh, the first thing that I want to let you guys know, you're going to see it on, uh, I think, the announcements later on uh, this morning. Those of you who just gotten here, today is Connect Sunday. If uh, you should have noticed that when you walked in and even sat in the back by the hospitality area, we have several banners and tables set up. Connect Sunday is just a small opportunity for us to get to know you. Uh, this is a, a way for you to also get to learn a little bit about who we are and the life of the church. So if you've been wondering about, excuse me, community groups, or you're wondering about several of our ministries, I definitely don't want you to feel intimidated. This is not something to where you're approaching to sign up, but this is an opportunity for you to gather information about what we have going on behind the scenes, what we have going on in particular on Sundays. And I'll tell you this much about Sundays. All of this, our time together spent in worship, would not be possible apart from our volunteers who do such an amazing job. And so if you call Storehouse home, or if you've been here for uh, a a while and you want to get plugged in or you've like, man, I know I need to do something. I just don't know where to start, who to talk to. This is a really easy step opportunity for you to get to learn a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we do things. Again, not just on Sunday, but also during the week. And so um, I'll be at our community group table after service. I'd love to meet you, shake your hand, and uh, sell you on community groups. Um, but apart from that, that's that's Connect Sunday. The, the, the second Second thing is, if you are a member here at Storehouse Community Church, or if you are a member candidate, just a reminder, there should be, I know for at least members, there is an email in your inbox on Tuesday night. We're having a short members meeting uh, just so that we cover a lot of 2019 updates. There's some uh, bullet points as to what we're covering in that email. Check your inbox later today. But that's a reminder. Another one's going out tomorrow in the event that you said, I didn't get it. Well, there's one going out tomorrow as well. So if you are a member or a member candidate, that is for you. Uh, what else? What are we doing? We're going we're gonna to talk about the Bible. That's what we're going to talk about. Okay. Uh, so we're going to find ourselves in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. What I'd like to do is, is just jump in by reading, and then I'm going to pray, and, and then I kind of want to give you, uh, I think, my, my thoughts on what the Apostle Peter uh, has been doing in these 12 verses, or what he is doing in these 12 verses, kind of giving a glimpse uh, of where we're headed to next week, but predominantly why we're spending so much time in these first couple of verses. Here we go. First Peter, once again, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. So thankful that y'all are here with us this morning. Here we go. Peter writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. 
it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that you, excuse me, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll begin our time. God, we begin by praying and thanking you for uh, an opportunity, another day, but another opportunity to gather uh, here on Sunday morning uh, to worship you, to worship the work that you have done for us, the work that you are doing in us, uh, and to celebrate the work that you are doing through us according to your grace and your mercy. God, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be at work in us this morning, that you would be at work in order to convict us, that you would be at work in order to counsel us, and that you would be at work comforting us. God, I pray that those who don't know you uh, in our time in this series would come to know you, and those who do know you would ultimately come to know you more. God, I pray that this time would glorify you in your name. I pray that I would be set aside and that it would be your spirit at work in me. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So let me give you kind of, uh, it's kind of a recap, but it's also, I think, my thoughts on, on what Peter is doing. You see, uh, we started this two weeks ago, and, and what Peter, it seems like he's doing, is he's drawing all of his readers, including us, he is drawing all of us to focus on our identity in Christ, uh, because we are moving slowly and we preach through verses of the Bible, what we have seen and what we will see today is that Peter continually draws back to our identity in this large chunk of Scripture, in the first 12 verses. To give you a little glimpse of where we're headed to next week, you can obviously read ahead, but to give you a glimpse of where we're headed to next week, Peter begins verse 13 with the word therefore. Therefore implies that he's coming to a conclusion in light of what he has just shared. And in verses 1 through 12, which is where we've been hanging out or where we will have been hanging out for the past three weeks, Peter is centralizing our attention on the work of God for us, in us, and through us, but making sure, quite evidently, making sure that our identity is first in Christ. In other words, Peter's argument or Peter's encouragement in these 12 verses is that before God tells you what to do, he tells you who you are. And Peter needs these Christians, the early church, he needs us to understand this. He needs us to stand firm in it. Because as we move ahead into verse 13, where he writes, therefore, his next point, the next place he is walking us to in Scripture is that of the pursuit of holiness. But the pursuit of holiness can be pursued in vain if we are not first grounded in our identity in Christ. It could be in vain if our lives are not centered around the person and work of Jesus. 
And so I think that is why Peter spends so much time talking about the work of God for us. For instance, in week one, he spoke in the present tense. And what we're going to see is Peter come at us from a variety of angles in these 12 verses. And so week one, when we looked at verses one through two, Peter spoke to us in the present tense right? Peter says that you are elect exiles, that you have not only been chosen by God, but that this life, this world, this earth is temporary. This is not your home. That is a present reality. Though you walk through this life, the present reality is that you have been chosen by God. This is who you are right now. So verses 1 through 2, he spoke in the present tense. Verses 6 through 9, where we were last week, Peter uh, leads us to the future. He still continues to talk about the work of God for us, just as he did in verses 1 through 2. For instance, in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, you have been born again. So again, Peter talks about the work of God. He says, man, according to his mercy, you have been regenerated to a living hope, to an inheritance that you're going to get that is being guarded right now. And so while you suffer in the present, there is something awaiting you in the future. And so he reminds us of who we are and what God has done in a future tense. And today, what we're going to see in verses 10 through 12, what we're going to see in verses 10 through 12 is Peter leading us now to the past. He's going to take us to the Old Testament in this section And over the past couple of weeks, as I've examined these couple of verses, man, I've learned and and I've thought through a variety of directions that we can go in when we look at 10 through 12. Two weeks ago, uh, man, I was headed in the sense of, man, I just want to dive into the inerrancy of Scripture. Uh, This week, I wanted to really just dive into what the prophets did, and I think we still might do that for a little while. Uh, And this morning, I decided, man, I want to go the direction of grace, because I think that's ultimately the umbrella message that Peter has for us. And we're still going to pull from the Old Testament. So so here's what I want you to know, in particular, when we're going to talk, we're going to talk about grace a lot today, but here's what I want you to know, want you to know about grace What I want you to know about grace is that it is not a reactive afterthought of God. In fact, grace is God's active pursuit towards sinners who are running as fast as they can away from him. That is what grace is. It is God's active pursuit of sinners who are running as hard as they can away from him. And his grace is relentless and his grace is in pursuit. And I think that's what Peter is going to have us look at today. In addition to that, one of the things that we'll eventually expand on this morning is that grace is not new. And I think that's why he pulls from the Old Testament. So without saying any more, let's, let's jump in really just to the first verse because we need to get a glimpse of what he's talking to us about before we begin to talk about the work of the prophets. 
Peter writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. I want to look at those two words. I want to look at grace and I want to look at salvation. See, when we're talking about grace, we're talking about God's undeserving favor towards sinners in spite of their sin. When you read verses like Romans 5 or chapters like Romans 5, and the Apostle Paul says that while we were still sinning, Christ died for the ungodly. That word still implies present tense, that while we are still sinning against God right now, Christ died for the ungodly. And so grace is God's undeserving favor upon people in spite of their sin. And then you bring salvation next to that, and salvation means deliverance. Salvation means deliverance. Oh my gosh, these lights are really hot. Are they hotter than usual? No, you're just torturing me. Okay. We need to see how grace and salvation come together. Salvation is deliverance. When Peter writes concerning this salvation, he's saying concerning this deliverance. Well, we need to see what we're delivered from in light of the work of grace. And so we're going to see a couple of things. And it is that the grace of God, that undeserving favor, the grace of God has saved us from the wrath of God. See, I think this is one thing that Christians often forget. That when we reflect on the work of Christ on the cross, we begin to think about what Jesus did. Man, he paid for my sin. And that is true. And there is this other side to it. That it is his grace has saved us from the wrath of God. We cannot fully understand grace. Undeserving favor. We cannot fully understand it without fully comprehending what we have been saved from. And we have been saved from the wrath of God. You see, Christ on the cross not only paid for our sin, but he also satisfied the wrath of God on our behalf. The grace of God saves us from the wrath of God. Number two, the grace of God saves us from the power of sin. The grace of God saves us from the power of sin. By God's grace, if you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. As a result of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, Christian, listen to me, you have the power to say no to sin. You have the power to run away from temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, I think it's verse 13, Paul says that because of the Holy Spirit, we have zero excuse and there's always an out. There is always an out. There is always an out to temptation. And so if you are a Christian, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and as a result, you have the power to say no to sin. Number three, by the grace of God, ultimately, inevitably, and one day, we will be saved from the presence of sin. You'll hear the second one, right? That we've been saved from the power of sin, that if we've been saved from the power of sin, how can we still sin? Well, part of the reason we still sin is because we're sinners and we want to. Okay? But in addition to that, Just because we have been saved from the power of sin does not mean we are yet done with the presence of sin. 
And so one day, inevitably and ultimately, we will be saved from the presence of sin. So those are three things. Those are three things that grace does. And, and that's not all. We're going to sandwich this. This is like the bread, right? We're going to come back and talk about what grace does and what grace is, what grace further is. But in this introduction, if you will, and in this introduction, we must understand grace and salvation, undeserving favor and deliverance. We have been delivered from the wrath of God, from the power of sin, and ultimately and inevitably, one day, the presence of sin. And Peter confirms this. Peter confirms this by pulling from the Old Testament. Now, uh, if you have the app, the notes should be on there. There's a lot of cross-references. I don't think I'm going to walk through all of those cross-references because it's kind of a lot, but I'll walk through many of them. So with that, let's transition now into the work of the prophets. Peter goes on to say, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. I want to talk about the prophets for a little bit and then build that case of grace isn't new. In fact, it has been this relentless pursuit since the foundation, since before the foundation of the world. And so if you don't know kind of who the prophets were or or what their role in Scripture is or was, and the prophets were chosen messengers from God to preach repentance to the people of God. In a nutshell. Say it one more time. The prophets of the Old Testament were messengers who were chosen by God to preach repentance to the people of God. That's not all they did. For instance, when you walk through Isaiah or Hosea, uh, when you walk through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the, the central message or one of the central things that they say is repent, repent, repent. They're constantly calling the people of God to repent, to turn away from their sin and to come back to God. In addition to that, the prophets were also filled with the Holy Spirit and foretold of the restoration of God's people through the coming and suffering of the Messiah. That's something that Peter also writes about, the prophets who prophesied. So those are two roles. In review, they were messengers chosen by God to preach repentance to the people of God. And number two, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they foretold, they prophesied, they predicted, they foretold because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit of the restoration of God's people through the coming and suffering of the Messiah. Now, why is that important before we dive into this a little bit more? Why is that important? It's important because it teaches us that this relentless pursuit of grace, uh, it teaches us about grace that one, it is not new and it is something that has been coming for us. The grace of God has been coming for his people since since before the foundations of the world. And the prophets weren't even serving themselves. They were serving us as they predicted the coming of the Messiah. And so Peter isn't just pulling random 
random facts to try, or random myths, or random, uh, oh, what do you, he's not retweeting or reposting things from social media just to kind of build his argument. He's pulling from Old Testament to prove that the coming of the Messiah, that the restoration of God's people is not an afterthought. It's actually been from the beginning this intense pursuit for you. That's where Peter is pulling from. We can look to, uh, for instance, Isaiah uh, 7, verse 14. This is, Isaiah is written, oh, I can't remember, between five and 700 years before the birth of Christ. And Isaiah says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. How will you know? Well, a sign is something that isn't exactly normal, right? And so, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's written about five to seven hundred years before the birth of Christ. Micah chapter five, verse two, but you, O Bethlehem, uh, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. What Micah is saying is there's one that's coming, He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah's writing this uh, 400 years before. No, he's around the same time as Isaiah, that five to 700 year mark before the birth of Christ. And he's saying, one is coming. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's all I got for you. But one is coming. You can look to Malachi chapter three, verse one. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Here's some Bible trivia. Who, who kind of paved the way for Jesus? What was his name? John the Baptist, with confidence, guys, all right? Like John, John the Baptist, right? He was the messenger. He comes onto the scene in the Gospels, and what is he saying? Repent, the kingdom of God is near. Repent, repent, turn around, right? That's what he's doing. He's paving the way for Christ. That's what Malachi is talking about. Malachi is about 300 years before the birth of Christ. Peter is pulling from the Old Testament to prove to his readers, not just to prove, I shouldn't say it that way, He's pulling from the Old Testament to encourage his readers that this grace that you have isn't random. This grace is from before the foundations of the world. This this pursuit of you has been from before the foundations of the world. This gift that you were to obtain is from before the foundations of the world. And these guys knew it. How'd they know it? Man, they were filled with the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit gave them the foreknowledge to know about or to predict about the coming of the Messiah. In addition to that, they also foretold about the suffering of the Messiah. Let's look at, uh, this is Isaiah 53, 4 through 9. It's a lengthy one. Isaiah writes, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Now we can go back to, or come fast forward to the New Testament and see something like Ephesians 1 verse 7, through his blood or by his blood we have redemption. 
He goes on. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he, not, he opened not his mouth. We can go to uh, Jesus' time where he was arrested and then he was falsely accused and falsely tried. He didn't speak anything. He didn't say anything contrary. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked, Jesus was crucified between two criminals. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. We know that when Jesus was brought down from the cross, whose tomb did he receive? It was a very wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea received his, gave him his tomb. This is five to seven hundred years before the birth of Christ. These guys are foretelling it because they are filled with the Spirit. The next thing that Peter writes in this section is that these promises, these prophecies, weren't for them. Man, they're receiving this and they're like, man, the Messiah is coming, restoration is coming, deliverance is coming, but it's not for us. Okay, then it's for the next generation. It's the ones who are to come. Someone's going to benefit from this grace. Peter goes on and says, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a little bit. What makes the Holy Spirit so awesome is that we see him empower people way long before us. Like grace, I think oftentimes we think about the Holy Spirit as just someone who is just in the now. But the Holy Spirit has always been. When we look at what he does with the prophets, he empowers the prophets to preach and prophesy, to speak on behalf of God because they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit empower Jesus. Uh, If you read through the Gospels, Jesus was victorious in temptation. I think it's Luke chapter 4. He writes that he was compelled by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. And so he goes into the wilderness and is tempted by Satan and where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus was victorious because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also empowered Jesus in his ministry. The Holy Spirit empowers the apostles. These were guys like Peter and Paul. He empowers the apostles to lay the foundation of the church, to preach repentance and to preach grace, to preach ultimately the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. He chooses the apostles to share this message because they were eyewitnesses. They were eyewitnesses. That's one of the things that separates the apostles from everyone else. Listen to 2 Peter verse 1, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths 
when we uh, made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Man, how do you know all this happened? I was there. That's what Peter is saying. I was there. So the Holy Spirit empowers the apostles, man, to preach this message, to tell the story, to lay the foundation of the church. The Holy Spirit additionally empowers the church. If you don't know what the Holy Spirit does, we'll be very brief about this in terms of empowerment. What does it mean? How does the Holy Spirit empower me? Well, one of the things that we know that is central to the work of the Holy Spirit is that he, he doesn't work and he doesn't speak apart from Scripture. That's, that's key to some of the practical things we're just going to talk about. He doesn't speak or work apart from Scripture. So if you ever find yourself in that time, you're like, man, I just really want to hear from God. Open your Bible. That's a good place to start, right? I want to hear from God. Open it, okay? Because what Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit uh, in the life of the believer convicts the believer. He convicts us of our sin. He makes our hearts new. He renews our mind. He begins to transform us. He convicts us of our sins. He doesn't negotiate. He convicts us of our sin. In addition to that, the Holy Spirit counsels us. So we can go in prayer to the Holy Spirit to receive counsel in light of what to do next or who to talk to or how this reflects on yourself. Whatever that looks like, he counsels us through his word. The Holy Spirit also uh, comforts us. Man, in times of hardship, in times of grief, in times of suffering, the Holy Spirit comforts us, reminds us that God is a God of comfort. How do you know these things? And they're in Scripture. They are in Scripture. And in order to build his case and encourage his people, Peter continually is pulling from the Old Testament to encourage them that, hey, everything I'm telling you, it's not just because it sounds good. Everything I'm telling you, I'm not just pulling from random newspapers and other books. Everything I'm telling you is the work of God through people since the beginning. None of this is random. None of these things are random. And he closes. We're not done, but he closes. He says, the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Here's what he's saying. Angels are looking down and awaiting the fulfillment of God's promises with curiosity. They are looking down and awaiting for God to fulfill his promises and they're watching with curiosity. They want to see how God's going to do it and, and what's next. We can go back to the garden maybe. Oh my gosh, God just created the earth and he created mountains and I think that's a deer. That's kind of cool. All right, now he created man and woman in his image. Man, that's so legit, right? So he's doing all this work and then the serpent comes on the scene and you see the angel like, why is he there? Wait, why are they talking to him? Wait, what? Now they're actually having a conversation. Now they're being enticed. 
Like, what's going on? They are looking to see God fulfill his promises. We can go to Genesis 3. He says, one is coming who's going to come from the seed of Eve. One is coming. We can go all the way to Genesis to see that God is on a rescue mission for his people. And the angels are longing and awaiting and looking at all the things that are unraveling and they are awaiting God's promises to be fulfilled with curiosity. Why are they doing that? Because the gift of grace and salvation is not for them. The gift of salvation and grace is for Christians. And so what that tells us is that we are not only elect exiles. That's what we learned about in week one. We are not only elect exiles. Week two, we are not only regenerated. Week three right now, we are privileged. We are privileged. Grace and salvation was designed for sinners. It is not a gift for angels. And so they await and they look with curiosity. And so we are privileged. Peter pulls from the Old Testament so that our appreciation and devotion would grow and intensify. He's pulling from the Old Testament so that our appreciation and our devotion for God would grow and intensify. If we're talking or looking at grace from all that grace has done and this giant pursuit, this relentless pursuit of grace for us, we need to look at what else grace does. What we need to, we've talked about this, that that grace is not short-lived. In fact, grace is relentless. That it is from before the foundation of the world. Grace is actually not cheap. It costs a lot. All of the Old Testament foretold of all of these, or excuse me, in the Old Testament, we see all of these animal sacrifices. They're foretelling of the ultimate sacrifice, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he died for sinners on the cross. Grace is not cheap. It costs God his life. Grace is not reactive. In fact, it is God taking action. It is not him going to the whiteboard thinking, what would be really good? What system could I have in mind? It is God taking action, being proactive and pursuing his children as they are running hard and fast away from them. Grace is not earned, but it is a gift from God and necessary for salvation. It is not something that we boast about. We only, or excuse me, it is something that we boast about. We boast in what God has done, not what we have done. And so if you are a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, here would be my encouragement to you. There's several. I don't think these are on the notes. If grace is old news to you, or simply another word in the church, then you have missed the point of grace and you've taken advantage of it. If grace is Jesus personified and you say you belong to Jesus, 
then the same Holy Spirit who dwelled and empowered the prophets and the apostles dwells in you, which means we ought to see Jesus in you. We ought to see Christ through you. If grace is old news, then the central message of the gospel for you has become moralized. And you forget, or better yet, maybe you're blind to see that the scriptures don't point to you, they point to Jesus. On several occasions, Jesus, even with the Pharisees, tells them, you search the scriptures because you're trying to find something cool and new and you forget that they testify about me. He's on the road to Emmaus and he's with some of the disciples and he says, or Luke writes, that he interpreted the scriptures and they all point back to him. See, some of you, when it comes to grace, you're so good at moralizing the gospel. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Are you saying the Bible doesn't have good morals? Are you saying that the Bible doesn't have values? Are you saying the Bible doesn't have principle? No, nerd, I'm not saying that, okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, however, is that everything points us back to Jesus and his work for us, in us, and through us. And you forget about grace because you're so busy taking advantage of it and you're so busy looking at Scripture thinking, that's inspirational, that's cool, maybe I'll use that today, I'll use that one when it applies to me, I'll know, I'll put a fish on my van and a dove on my business to tell everybody how much Jesus loves me. Everything pointed to tell everybody how good I am. Scripture points us to Jesus and when Scripture points us to Jesus, we are convicted by the Holy Spirit because we realize we are in desperate need of a Savior because we are sinners. And Jesus was proactive in entering into human history, living the life that you and I cannot live, dying the death that you and I deserve to die, and giving us the grace that you and I do not deserve or can earn. That is Jesus. All Scripture points back to Jesus. Peter's encouragement is that the grace that they have, the grace that you have if you're a follower of Jesus, is not random. It didn't come sudden like an idea. It may have been revealed to you in a moment, but it is not random. It is something that has been in pursuit of you. It is something that has been relentless. And we can look all the way back to the prophets and even before the prophets to see this come to fruition. So don't, don't moralize Scripture. He, and here's what I'm not saying either. I'm not saying don't do good. You should totally do good. Right? Scripture is very clear about doing good. And even, whatever. Scripture is very clear about doing good. But our motivation to do good comes from the good that God has first done for us. That's the motivation. That's the motivation. Remember, next week, we're looking into the pursuit of holiness. I don't think we could faithfully pursue holiness until we first understand who we are in Christ. And some of you may be even reading ahead, or you might even be looking forward to pursue holiness and just tell me what to do. Just tell me the practical stuff. How does it work? What do I do? Give me the system. Give me the list. I'll do it. We'll get there. 
We'll get there. But we can't faithfully be there if you don't first understand who you are. So stop moralizing it. My encouragement is that, that your appreciation for what God has done, for this distance that grace has traveled, this cost that grace has paid, my encouragement, my prayer for you is that your appreciation would turn into worship and that your devotion would become authentic so that you would see the pursuit of God in your life and so that you would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell the story of God. To tell the story of God. Now, if you're not a Christian, my encouragement to you would be to cast your anxieties onto the Lord. That, that word, cast, literally means throw your burdens, throw your anxieties onto God. And he will comfort you. Throw your anxieties onto the Lord so that you would experience this grace that the prophets prophesied about. Humble yourself. Turn away from your sin and trust in the Lord. May we be a people who stand firm in who God says we are before doing what God has called us to do. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for you, and, uh, and that is not enough. Because that's what we have. God, when we read through these verses, you know, 10 through 12 and, and Peter, man, we, we learn a little bit more about this. Man, uh, uh, we learn a little bit more about your pursuit uh, of us. And that it wasn't random. And that it wasn't just a good idea on a whiteboard. But that it has been your intentionality for us since before the foundation of the world. God, Peter has been building us up to find encouragement in who we are, and I pray that that central message, that theme, would resonate loudly in our hearts this morning. That through your word, we can be comforted and encouraged of your pursuit of us so that we would stand firm, so that we would stand firm and stand comforted knowing that we belong to you. God, as we look to, man, after service and all these other activities that we may have planned today, God, I pray that we would have a ton of fun in those activities. I pray that we would do a ton of good things throughout the week, but that all of those things would come from a motivation centered on the person and work of Jesus and who he says we are. May we give you glory in our life and may we make your name great and not our own. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.